0: Hi and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bo and myself begin our discussion on the 9th and 10th commandment.
1: Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brian Rickey. All right. It's been a while,
2: right, guys? Yeah, we just, uh, we, it's been a few, uh, several weeks since we've recorded last time, and last week I just put up episode 43, which was the last one we had in the hopper. So we're together again uh, at the 11th hour to get some more recording done uh, and to finish off the Ten Commandments. We We made it.
0: Yeah, we did. For those did. who don't know what a hopper is, it's a storage facility within a grain <laughs> combine. I,
2: I would, I would venture to guess most of our listeners have at least some agrarian experience
0: to them. Well, I'm speaking to the urban people. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. what are we talking about today, Brett? Yes, uh, we're talking about the ninth and tenth commandment, and. I guess as we get going on this, and I don't know, I'd have to go back into our archives and re-listen to these, but I don't know if we ever had a discussion about why the different ordering of the Ten Commandments, you know, the Lutheran versus the Catholic versus the Reformed and so on, and maybe it'd be good to start with reminding ourselves of that again, Jason, of why the different ordering and why why is this one split into two as opposed to the first and second? Well,
2: I know we did acknowledge that there is a different ordering and explain it. I don't know if I can answer the why. I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, the different ordering is that the Lutherans break out the coveting commandments into two and only have one commandment on idolatry, and the Calvinists have two commandments on idolatry and one coveting commandment. And so uh, we've been off on our numbering until number 10, uh, Uh, With the Calvinists, the Calvinists have, you shall not commit adultery, and then you shall not have any graven image as one and two, and that's just commandment one for us. And we have, uh, don't covet uh, your neighbor's house, and don't covet your neighbor's wife as nine and ten, uh, where the Calvinists just have, don't covet uh, for my money, thinking back to what I've read on this from Luther, basically what Luther said is you need 10 because there's a couple passages in Scripture that delineate that there are 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. And so Luther says you need 10. I think there's some specific thing he saw in the Hebrew that led him to go to 9 and 10. Um, but I don't know anything beyond that. If someone actually knows, I would love you to email the podcast so that I can build that into the curriculum mm-hmm. because that's a blind spot for me. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's the same commandments, and which is why we're studying the commandments as law and not the particular commandments individually in a vacuum, mm-hmm. because it, it functions in the same way no matter what you do. Uh, but this is that's just acknowledging the difference.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think having that in mind too, and and also the idea that all the commandments are woven together in a sense; they're connected to each other. You know, uh, they think of covenant, it's almost like a precursor to. Uh, stealing, uh, nope. you shall not steal, um, and then others. Or even do. adultery. Yeah.
0: I mean, it, they do really touch each other, and I think that's been the beauty of this study, especially as we're landing on the ninth and tenth commandment, that it really does touch each other yep. and how interconnected the ten commandments are. And uh, I know that um, we were talking earlier, and that sometimes people see this one as kind of the disposable one, like, yep. "Oh, this isn't really the one that's really that important."
2: Yeah, coveting is the throwaway commandment uh, because it's the victimless crime. You can't ever prove that coveting has happened. There's the, the residual symptoms of coveting. I know uh, the, we've talked about uh, the, you know we're going to be talking about rather discontentment uh, and, and and greed, but you, when you look at what Jesus talked about in the the Sermon on the Mount and he started building intent into the sins, what he's touching on is the coveting aspect of each one of those sins. Motives. Yeah, motives. And so if we go back to adultery, uh, lust is the coveting aspect of the Sixth Commandment. Uh, It's not the act of fornication, but it's it's the motive. It's the intent.
0: I find it kind of interesting that the that the first two commandments and the last two commandments as to our, the Lutheran numbering are like bookends mm-hmm. that summarize really in a, in a way all of the middle, you know.
2: Well, and it's really this—you this, you captured on it, and, and I want to build towards that. It's the interconnectedness of the commandments kind of prefigures for us as Lutherans the interconnectedness interconnect- of the entire catechism. And, and, and for my money, the best work Luther did— was to demonstrate on how the basics of the faith for the Christian life are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you have coveting being the sin of discontent or uncontentment. Uh, that's you know, all of the commandments, really. But that's also first article of the creed material because mm-hmm. God is our provider and creator in order. Uh, order of society. It's also fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, God providing daily bread. And it also shows us how the law and the gospel works in our, here we go, vocations. because ding, 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 All right, we got it. Vocations. Yeah, it's going to be in all four of these upcoming episodes because we're really going to see how uh, this works for us. And uh, if you don't have, um, if you don't have the law functioning as an umbrella for the whole Christian life, the Christian life breaks down. If you don't have the gospel functioning as the umbrella for the whole Christian life, the Christian life breaks down. If you don't understand how all of the fundamentals of the faith inform your Christian life, the whole Christian life breaks down. Yeah. And so the interconnectedness is hugely important here. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So Brett, what are the yeah, ninth I and 10th commandments? I was
2: just going to say, <laughs> hey, you're
1: taking my job. Professional no. <laughs> segwayer, Brian Ritchie. <Rickey. laughs> Alright, yeah, let's read the ninth and 10th commandments. And uh, this is, once again, the question and answer format of the catechism, Cateco, echoing back. And so, what is the ninth commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not craftily seek to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or obtain it by a show of justice and right or any other means, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. Okay, and now the tenth commandment. What is the tenth commandment? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his cattle, or anything that is his. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not turn, force, or entice away our neighbor's wife, servants, or cattle, but urge them to stay and carefully do their duty. Yeah, so these are the ninth and tenth commandments, and I, I was reminded of I uh, use the I believe it was a Lutheran Brethren catechism, um, for our confirmation instruction a number of years ago. And the gloss that they used was the ninth is house and the 10th is spouse. And you know, the rhyming, uh, that was kind of a nice way to maybe differentiate between the two of your house and then everything in it, everything in mm-hmm. your house.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I love that, the, you know, the gloss is helpful there and, um, Really, I want to get out of the way, too, when we're talking about coveting, Luther is hitting on the ethical and moral issue rather than the legal
1: issue now. Mm-hmm. Again, because it's the victimless crime. You mean that we can't necessarily prosecute coveting? Yeah, you can't right? prosecute. It's is impossible. You yeah. but so,
2: you know, the, the examples here, and it's kind of built into the catechism thing, is by a show of justice. And so you could underhandedly but completely legally... Uh, Do coveting You could You know In Luther's day It was enticing away The wife Of another uh, man or enticing the way an employee, you know, today we have, it's an actual industry, headhunting. Yeah. Uh, and,
0: and, I, and I totally understand what you're saying. I just want for clarity's sake that, I, you know, none of us believe there's a victimless sin. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. our, you know, our, everyone is is affected around us because one of the symptoms of coveting, again, is lack of contentment. And that does impact everyone around us. But
2: Well, and we're going to discover, too, coveting always cycles back to idolatry and then we've really hit the whole nail on the head on... Uh, the The commandments that all commandments the sin against uh, uh the breaking of any of the commandments is in its nature idolatry, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. on the reverse side, using the ninth and tenth commandments as the other bookend, it really means that contentment is one of the end games of the law in the Christian life mm-hmm. is that we have been given these boundaries which God has promised to provide for us and a breaking of the commandment then is is robbing ourselves. Mm-hmm idolatrously so, of contentment that God has promised to provide for
0: us. So the old sage Sheryl Crow is correct (laughs) in, in saying that it's not getting what you want, it's wanting what you have
2: to some extent if, yeah. if, if if we're going to do the humanistic mustering that up there's a, you know there's a moral lesson to learn in that and then we can go out and soak up the sun if oh, you, really want me
1: to. you can't always <laughs> get
2: what you can't yeah it's earworming to death our audience uh, one now that's, song that's at a, a time
1: you know this idea of coveting and maybe we should do next uh, is actually define the word mm-hmm. but yeah. there it's not it's, it's not wrong to want something it's not wrong to have a desire to obtain something and so maybe we need to have some nuance here of what does and coveting is one of those words that it seems like we know what it means but maybe don't know how to define it But it's not a word we use every day either, you know, so you've got a
0: younger generation. It's like, what's that mean? You know, so
2: when someone asks you how you're doing, I've been struggling with coveting. No one really says that. But what we're going to define it with three layers and then I'll give a a multi-tiered example of how that defines it better. So dictionary definition, I get this from Merriam-Webster, is inspired. to want something you don't Just... have very much.
1: <laughs> what uh, was that? Inspired, right? Yeah, no. the uninspired <laughs> Merriam-Webster, <laughs> yeah. To
2: want something that you do not have very much. Mm-hmm. A second layer of the definition, this comes from Luther in the large yeah. catechism. It's a very specific definition, but the principle is there, is to desire or in any way to aim at getting our neighbor's wife or possessions. Uh, which really my confirmation definition from my pastor in confirmation was that coveting meant you wanted to have something your neighbor has instead Hmm. of him having it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really good to express it like that. I think that, that maybe separates the difference between wanting and coveting.
2: Well, and even in the layers of wanting something, there's 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 nuance there. And so the best way I've grown to understand, and I, and I believe uh, this came from my pastor in Confirmation too, is he used the illustration of a sports car. It, uh, a sports car, at least for men, speaks to a, a primal desire that we have. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tim the Tool Man.
0: <laughs> Man, we've got all these little references you know, It's here. a uh-huh. pop
2: culture episode. Of We're dating ourselves though that's true i love the 90s brought to you by being (laughs) (laughs) so you take a take a sports car uh corvette ferrari whatever your car of choice might be uh on the first layer completely innocent is just appreciating a sports car when it drives by Mm. Uh, now i used to live in california and i was 20 minutes away from uh carmel beach in central California. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of wealthy people yeah. that live at Carmel yep. Beach. Mm-hmm. And so there's this drive. It's, I think it's called 13 Mile Drive. And on the weekends, people used to pop into their sports cars and they used to just put them on show. And one of my favorite things was standing on, on the hill that goes down to the beach and just turning around and watching the sports cars drive by because it was awesome. It was like being at a car show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and appreciating the beauty of a Ferrari, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, the second level that coveting hits now where we're going to really start to get convicted is that you compare what someone else has to what you have. And so if I see a Ferrari drive down the side of the road... Uh, and I compare that to my 1996 Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is missing some of the paneling underneath the door and uh, the four-wheel drive on the fly doesn't really work anymore. I literally can't open the tailgate because the lock is frozen in place, so on and so forth. That's when discontent starts to creep in. And and that's the first level of coveting is, is like, oh, that's better than what I have. Uh, and so now I'm unhappy about what I have. The where coveting hits home. The force of coveting then is that I see my neighbor's possession, my neighbor's sports car, and not only do I want to have the sports car, but I want him not to have it. Hmm. And, and that's where the jealousy and so there's envy, malice involved yeah, a little it's, bit. It's a malicious thing. Uh, and it, that really, I think, this this victimless crime, this throwaway commandment, is really designed to highlight the detravity of sinful nature. Is it, There is no reason to go there.
0: Yeah. What's interesting is I think we do this inadvertently or in ignorance sometimes. So soapbox moment is you know, brought to you by being Lutheran. Uh, <laughs> uh, streaming music yep. is actually taking from artists— out of their pocket, it's, it's like, I want that music, but I don't want to have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so it really it is. And so I know a lot of people are on subscription music, but you have to understand it on subscription music because the Library of Congress laws haven't caught up to technology. You are robbing the artist from their finances. Now, some would say, well, these guys are millionaires, but what about the small person? What about the person that's independent? You know, the people that are, that are just getting started they don't get see any of that money when you're when you're streaming that or you're on subscription music you are literally taking money from those people and so there's even aspects of that in our life that we probably aren't even aware of
2: what it it also you know even if you're completely ignorant about that until this moment uh it 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 illustrates the need for ethical business practices again uh you know, the the whole argument from socialism today, contemporary socialism, Bernie Sanders' socialism— Who that, has three
0: homes in the Hamptons.
2: Yeah, is that all wealth is gained dishonestly. No, that's entirely false. Does that, that go for him, too? Uh, no comment. <laughs> uh, all, you know, it's, it's this belief that if someone's rich, they had to step on other people to get there. That's entirely false. You can be wealthy— and and not be a sinner, but it's then what do you do with that wealth? What do you do with that successful business? And where now, where the scripture starts to attack the principles of wealth is running your business solely by the bottom line to to make money instead of running your business ethically to benefit your neighbor. Because scripture
0: doesn't really necessarily um, say wealth is bad. It's just, it's dangerous. It warns us of the danger because you've got Abraham, you've got Job, godly men, and they're extremely wealthy. But at the same time, then you've got the rich young ruler that came up to Christ who was unwilling to let it go that that he was unwilling to make God his God and Christ his Messiah versus his money, his wealth and his stature
2: yeah for every Abraham or job there's a rich young ruler for every David there's a Solomon mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing where it corrupts and this is where getting back to the the to the principle instead of the specifics mm-hmm. the the target of coveting is discontentment. The target of coveting is greed with any layer of sin. And again, sure. you know, the the coveting sin of adultery is lust. The coveting sin of uh, stealing is greed. Uh, you know, even there's coveting built into the Eighth Commandment with reputation because you covet the power or the prestige mm. or the fame. Think of how many people uh, in today's culture are not only obsessed with being famous, but now are just famous for being famous. You know, it's what do the Kardashians bring to the table other than that people know who the Kardashians are. Social kind of a media. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all of this is coveting. Yeah. And that's where the sin is, and where we're going to round out then is that Scripture specifically calls coveting idolatry. And that's what our Bible study is going to be on in the prohibiting side of things. We're going to have a second part to Commandments 9 and 10 where we're talking about the positives, what we can mm-hmm. do in light of what God commands here. But uh, coveting is idolatry, and rounds it out again is that we are replacing right. God with something.
1: So we, in essence, we want God's place— um, over whatever it is.
0: Yep. I do find it interesting, though, as you brought up, Jason, that this is kind of the disposable commandment in a, in a way, or how we kind of view it that way. But this one, these two commandments really touch every area of our life, maybe more so, like you say, we kind of said it was bookends, and it summarizes a lot of the second table of the law, if not all of it. And it's really interesting how pervasive, honestly, the the these commandments are. Uh, really touch every area of our life.
2: Yeah. And, and what's so interesting is we'll talk about this on the second part next week, but the the silent promotion that the ninth and 10th commandment are designed to bring about is self-examination. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, you have this entirely victimless crime, this, this thing you can't even prove exists. But if that is a sin, then all we're left with with the law is self-examination because I can't go around pointing fingers saying you're coveting what I have. That's stupid. Uh, But if I can covet, it means the law, the exclamation point is then I'm looking inside myself first for the breaking of the law. I'm not looking out There first Now it happens We've covered it several times You can be the victim Of an actual crime mm-hmm. You can be uh, You know Suffer abuse and, and things like that And that's a real problem But the law As it addresses The Christian As it addresses The spiritual principles Of the Christian life Drives us to self-examination And mm. this is really yeah. Where the ninth and 10th Commandment function
0: And there's that mirror Of the law It's yep. revealing us, uh, And teaching us in, that, in the freedom Of Christ Jesus That's the beautiful thing That the law Moves from our accusatory record of wrongs to our gentle teacher, and allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to mold us and shape us into the people God longs for us to become.
1: Yeah, and part of that is exposing our covetous hearts, and that's not fun. I mean, it's it's something that it's maybe hidden, too, where we don't realize. I like what you said there, Jason, of it's it leads us to self-examination, and sometimes our, our culture views that as you know, look inside yourself or, you know, to find goodness. But when when we look inside ourselves, we find sin and stuff that needs to be repented of and and confessed to God, which leads us back to the gospel.
2: And then the good news is, is when we get to that point, when we get to the end of ourselves, which is where the law is designed to bring us, there we will find grace and mercy from God.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, I have a scripture to end with, if that's okay with you. Shocking. Yeah, I know. Stunning. Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Please join us next week as Pastor Brett, Pastor Jason, and myself continue our discussion on the ninth and 10th Commandment. God bless you and have a great week.